Hi there, it's Judd. And it seems to have happened again. The audio signal from our sister station seems to have bled into our program. I wasn't aware of it while we were recording, but there it is. It's very faint. You probably really will only notice it if you're wearing headphones. And if not, uh, you'll just barely notice it. It should not detract from your enjoyment of this conversation with one of Napa Valley's, well, biggest characters. And we're going to begin the show here as we sit down with one of our guest's biggest fans, Chef Greg Cole, as he and I and our guest, Dr. Alan Steen, sit down to sip a little wine, talk a bit, and then we'll get right into the show. Enjoy. Hello there, this is Judd Finkelstein. I'm sitting here in the Judd's Hill tasting room at the south end of Silverado Trail. I've got Chef Greg Cole of Celadon and Cole's Chop House. Hello listeners, it's good to be here in this beautiful tasting room. And I have our featured guest in today's episode, Dr. Alan Steen. Really good morning. It's wonderful to be with two of my favorite people. And we're together here because, Chef, you sent me a note a few weeks ago saying, where's that podcast where you talk to Dr. Steen? He's a great character. I want to hear more of his story. And I said, you know what? I haven't gotten to it yet, but if you come down and do the intro, we'll get it up ASAP. So here we are. How did you meet this guy? What's your relationship with Dr. Steen? When I first moved to Napa in 1985, I spent two and a half years in the kitchen at Demi and Chandon. Went on to open to be the chef manager, wine list guy, all those sort of things, of a little place on Jefferson called Pasta Prego. Your mom and dad used to bring in a young Judd into the restaurant. Dr. Steen used to come in. And Whitehall Lane quickly became one of our favorite restaurants. In fact, I remember a younger Ray Corson delivering Whitehall Lane wineries to our our restaurant that we proudly featured. And I always, your your family, your whole family, your, your mom, your dad, Alan, so interesting, such neat people. I was always amazed if you were Finkelstein, why was he Steen? Who was this sort of fancier guy who who came in and out, who sort of arrived always wearing a suit jacket, who was Art's brother but had a different last name? Was he a brother from a different mother? How did that work? You want to explain and, it? And the oh, whole no, 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 the, no, no, well, no, no, the whole story of, of of how you know an architect and a physician went on to to really start. I mean, one of this an amazing winery at sort of the beginning of what is the what I call kind of consider the new wine renaissance of the Napa Valley. At that time, things were just starting to explode. And here was this these couple brothers with different names who were making great wines with a with a big Irish-sounding guy, Ray Coruscant, I mean, in the cellar and making deliveries, but a true family operation. It was a great, I mean, great wines and great times and great memories. Well, let's go about this name dichotomy to begin with. When I was very, quite young, I'm 14 years old, as a matter of fact, I started out as a professional piano player in orchestras. Very good jobs. And my dad's lawyer said, I see he's using the name Alan Steen. And dad said, well, sure. And he said, well, he can't do that if he's signing contracts. It's because that's not legal. So at 14 and a half years old, I turned up at a court room in Rock Island, Illinois, and there uh, a judge granted my desire to change my name to Finkelstein to uh, Alan Steen, which I have kept ever since. A lot of people ask me about that different name than my brother, and I always say, well, I'm the product of my mother's first marriage. (laughs) Of course, it was her last marriage, but, but we... First as well. Yeah, as well. So that's how that came up. And I know you've been a fan of uh, chefs cooking for a long time. We oh. talk about them often. And you yourself are a world-traveling gourmet. You've taken classes in cooking around the world and a great entertainer and home chef. But you've always been 
attracted to his cooking, I know. We've often gone for lunches and dinners at either Celadon, Pasta Prego way back when, Coles. What, what attracts you to this chef? Absolute honesty and quality. I mean, you when you go to his restaurants, you get the best. I mean, let's tear away all pretense. This is the best restaurant in town. <laughs> Yeah. How's well, that for an Well, that's that's pretty that's pretty exciting. Your story is so amazing to have gone from concert level pianist to then a career in medicine to then a career in wine marketing. All successful with with a sense of style, but to to do the things that you've done in your life, it's just it's inspiring. There aren't many people who have had that many careers where they were as successful. Well, I have to tell you that uh, if you don't have fun in life. You're missing the boat. Life is short. Have a good time. And I've always, I left a very, a, a very substantial practice. And a lot of my doctor friends said, you fool, what the hell are you doing? And I said, I don't want to wake up when I'm 80 years old and say, had I only given this a whirl? And I did, and luck was with us. And my brother was a sensational winemaker, as we all know. So it, it, it did work out. But if you don't take a few chances in life, you're missing a lot. I think. Did, did Art, was Art already up here and did he call you and say come and help or did you guys come together as his plan? No, it was, uh, we had talked about this for a long, about doing something like right. this for a long time. My point is, uh, no, I came here about a year before my brother to find a vineyard property and so forth and we lucked out on a very good, uh, advantageous uh, business deal. Things just sort of fell together. I found the Napa Valley to be so cordial and helping uh, for somebody who's coming in to compete with them in the same business, it was fabulous. And you talk about that in this episode we're about to hear. Oh, okay. So I just want you to uh, know that we are going to get into it. In the meantime, we've got a good thing going here in Judd's Hill where we're sitting right now. I invite all you listeners to come visit me. I'm sitting right here amongst the beautiful verdant vines of Napa Valley at the south end of Silverado Trail. We're open daily by appointment. Visiting information is at www.judshill.com. While you're there, you can look around, meet the family, find out about our events. Hey, put some wine in your cart. Why not? It's good, right? It's delicious. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, fellas. And as a listener, if you type in JNVS, stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, in lowercase letters as a coupon code, you're going to get 15% off your entire wine order. What were those letters again, please? J-N-V-S. You know, you can also look at our wine club, which is right there on the website. We've got tons of fun happening, events, parties, and you get a better deal on the wine, too. So have a look at that. It's free to join. I hope that we will see you listeners here soon. Meanwhile, the fellas and I are going to keep talking and sipping wine here. And uh, what time do either of your restaurants open for lunch? Maybe that's where we're going to go next. Celadon opens for lunch at 1130. That's Monday through Friday. And then both restaurants open for dinner at 5 p.m. There you go. All right. Well, we'll see you at Celadon for lunch. And then we're Cole's Chop House for dinner. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Doctor, thanks. Thank you. Coming to you live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show with your prolific host, winemaker, musician, and superb fellow extraordinaire, Judd <laughs> Fingelstein. Good morning, Lauren Mole. Top of the day, brother Judd. Top of the day, Lauren. That is quite a intro you gave me. Thank you. Mixed that up a little bit today. I did. Very complimentary. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'll go back to my regular intro next week. Next week. Okay. Well, it's nice. We've been off for a couple weeks. so We have been. So it's nice to have that little surprise. We're mixing things up. You notice we didn't have the theme music right at the beginning. Ah. And that's for a special reason. 
Ah, because I see. Well, maybe I won't say why yet. That's so fine. let's talk to you. What's going on in the world of Lauren? Oh gosh, well we had the Fourth of July parade here in Napa, which was fun, and I got to sing along with Terry Bradford's chorus again for the second year, second year in a row, which is great, and. I got to have my picture taken with, with Don Lynn from CBS 5 Eyewitness News. Is that right? That's true. I didn't see that. I did see you in the parade. You guys were singing, again, with the fabulously talented and tuneful Mr. Terry Bradford. That's right. Um, we got a microphone on you. We isolated Lauren Mole on the float of the Napa Valley Community Chorus, and I think maybe right now we should all have a listen. What I do you say? I don't see why not. Okay, here we go. Because I'm happy. Because I'm happy. Because I'm happy. Right on, Lauren. Doing a little happiness. That was great, man. Yeah. That's exciting. It was. You've been singing a while with Terry, huh? I have been. Got any gigs coming up? As of now, no. As of now. Okay. But you you but you have some solo stuff coming up, right? Aren't you gonna do some more sporting events? Oh yeah. We're doing some more stuff with everybody's a star. On August seventeenth, we'll be back with Take Me Out to the Ball Game at the Giants Game. And in September, on September twenty fourth, is Everybody is a Star Day at the A's game. And believe it or not, Jen. This will be my first A's game since 2007. We'll play ball. Yeah. Glad you're going to be back. Yeah. The A's are hot, man. You're just going to make them hotter. Oh, yeah. Cool. Maybe you can even come out and lend your vocal talents to our... This is the fourth annual coming up. Fourth annual Yucapalooza at Oxbow, Friday, August 1st. It's a free free event for anybody in Napa, anybody from anywhere. can come on down to the Oxbow Public Market Friday, August 1st, 6 p.m. It's going to be out on the river deck a little mini music festival featuring, well, ukulele music, and everyone's free to bring his or her own ukulele, get in on the action. The evening will be anchored by my own band playing old-time Hawaiian music, the Maikai Gents. Then we'll take some breaks, and anybody who's got a uke can come up and strum. There are going to be island-style specials by the uh, Oxbow Merchants. There will be an Aloha Wear Marketplace, so vintage Hawaiian shirts, Hawaiian dresses. Come down and get those. And a raffle put on by the Voices Youth Center, so it'll benefit a great cause. Come on down for that. Now, I'm not going to do any other plugs right now, because we've got a great show. Oh, yeah. We've got to get to it. We've got a couple guys sitting here right now. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to point to one of them right now. It's our musical director here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. He's sitting here live. Mr. Gordon Lustig, would you mind playing us in? Get ready for another heapful of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, cool folks from the local scene. This morning our intriguing person is our friend Dr. Alan Steen. Our friend Dr. Alan Steen. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. In his life as a doctor, he's the finest we'd seen. He'd fix your nose, lift your face, or maybe tuck your spleen. But moving to Napa Valley put him on a path rather keen. Today, we'll talk mostly wine biz with our guest, John's uncle, Alan Steen. Hey, Alan. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Doctor. Good morning. Good morning. I think you are the first repeat guest we've had here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. And, and it's not just nepotism, not just because you're my uncle. You know, last time, it's because you're an interesting character. And last time you were here, we talked a little bit about your background, growing up in a small town, the path that kind of led you to the wine business. But I thought today we really should just focus on the wine biz. Well, that's what I used to do for a living, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, well, let's 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 go back just just a bit. We'll, we'll recap a bit. Sure. Uh, coming from a small town in Illinois, with parents who didn't drink. I mean, I, I never did get to meet my grandparents. You know, your folks. Um, they certainly didn't seem like sticks in the mud, but that just drinking was not part of who they were. You're absolutely. My father would have got dizzy if he smelled a beer bottle cap three feet away. Okay, uh, gotcha. he uh, was not a drinker. Uh huh. I often thought about a telephone call where I'd call up dad and say, Art and I are going in the winery business. <laughs> and I could see him say, you're going to do what? <laughs> you know, I'm sure he would have been very proud because he was a very savvy businessman. Well, he did a marvelous well. businessman, as a matter of fact. Yes, drinking was not part of our family life for the most part, except for the sacramental wines on the Sabbath, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. any rate. But many years ago, when I was 21 years old, I discovered there was other wines besides uh, Mug and David. And uh, <laughs> it, it introduced me to a whole different world, frankly. It was really, I think, an oxidized Chilean Riesling, but I thought it was really great. <laughs> and, and that put you on a path. And well, well, fast forward, you went to med school, you had a successful practice as a plastic surgeon down in Southern California. Right. Uh, my father, your brother, the two of you started making wine as a hobby in our garage and then decided to leave Southern California and come to Napa Valley. And as I recall from the last time you were on the show, it happened while you were waiting to make a left turn onto Hawthorne Boulevard, was it, in Torrance? You're right. And it just took way too long. You have a phenomenal memory. Well, it, you know what? It really struck me because the fact that you couldn't make this left turn, you experienced something that people experience every day, you know, this frustration, being caught in traffic, you don't have this freedom, you're stuck. You know, what can you do? And it's kind of a metaphor for life sometimes. And it seems like you took it as such and decided to make a life change. Like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want some freedom. I want to go do something else that I enjoy. And it, it, it motivated uh, you to talk to the family and get everybody up here. So I think about that often. It, it stuck with me. This, this moment of frustration with traffic certainly changed your life and basically gave me mine, where I am now. I mean, if that hadn't happened, you hadn't had this idea, sure. I certainly wouldn't be sitting here in Napa Valley. I was a, a teeny tiny kid at the time. So if and you could have made a left turn, yeah, then I, you wouldn't be where you are today. I wouldn't be here talking to Gordon Lustig. I wouldn't know my good friend Lauren Mole. Um, it'd be a whole different life. Who knows? And, you know, I love this Napa Valley. So I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you had that moment. And it I've been going on and on because it really did strike me. Well, you mentioned something about the family, and I think that's an important point to think about. Because my wife, who was uh, beginning her career as a lawyer, was doing extremely well. Yeah. And I called up her office and I said, I want to go to the Napa Valley and make wine, which we had talked about. And she said, well, if you really want to go, I'll go. And well, my point being is she gave up a, a, a beginning a very fine law practice to come up here and join the family in this endeavor. And also, your mom and dad were very nice to agree to come up and be part of the team. It was wonderful. Right, because they had their careers going down there as well. Uh, they did indeed. Yeah. And 
you know, I didn't really get to know your dad well because I left home when he was two years old or something. There's a an age difference. You were 14 uh, years old. 14 older. years different, and I really didn't get a chance to really get to know your dad till we went into the winery business together. And it was one of the, some of the wonderful parts of my life, I have to say so. I, I, I adored the whole experience. I really did. Oh, that's... oh, Now, people think that we just came up here, you know, n- not knowing a lot about wine business. Well, that wasn't true. I kept, I'm going to say your dad was making wine for at least 20 years prior to our coming to the Napa Valley. He was a very experienced winemaker. He taught winemaking for the cellar masters at UCLA. He was a very experienced and knowledgeable winemaker. And I, a lot of people always say, well, we sort of, a doctor and an architect sort of backed into the wine business. Well, we didn't. Yeah, I do know that that's true. In my early, some of my earliest memories are the garage at our home in um, the hills there, uh, Benedict Canyon in Los Angeles. Uh, there was never a car in that garage. It was, and I think we talked about this on the last show too, but there were, you know, jars of bubbling things and a <laughs> hand-cranked press and extra refrigerators probably to cold-stabilize wines. And It was a really major hobby that kind of took over, well, took over, period. We came to the, wine, to, the, to the wine country, and many people gave me these admonishments about, well, you know, you're going up there with these old family businesses. You're not going to be accepted you know, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Judd, I found out the people in the Napa Valley were some of the kindest, warmest, and f- helpful people I ever encountered in my life. I mean, old-timers, family wineries came, they'd come in and talk with me, and one guy, who's, I will not mention his name because I don't think that's proper, but my point is I got a telephone call that said, if you ever have a problem or something, give me a call. And this is a well-established winemaker here in the Napa Valley. I think you can mention name. That's complimentary, not defaming uh, anybody. But well, it's up to you, however you feel comfortable. And what era is this? This is the nineteen mid nineteen seventies. When we came, we 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 came here in nineteen seventy seven. Seventy seven. Okay. And we started building the winery in nineteen seventy eight. This is I, Whitehall Lane. Winery. Whitehall Lane Winery. Yes. I did want <laughs> to make sure everybody's clear about what's happening here. Uh, and I think our first vintage was in nineteen eighty. But, uh, again, I found my the acceptance of our families and being in the winery profession to be exemplary. It was just marvelous. I, I, I've enjoyed my time here greatly. It's true in my life as well. You know, I went off and studied something else and worked in, in another field, and I didn't really care for the general attitude of that industry, and it's what led me back mm. uh, because of what you just described. People are are nice, they're grounded for the most part, you know, down-to-earth, helpful. Well, let's talk about, you know, the winery well, yeah. profession. That's what I want you to talk about, how you got into it, how you found the vineyard, how you developed. Go for it. Well, as an old, there's a great wine judge by the name of Robert Balzer who lived in Los Angeles for many, many years, and he always said you cannot make great wine without great grapes. And so you have to find a, a decent vineyard to begin with. And at the time we came here, it was quite difficult. The, the, uh, it was, uh, there just wasn't any good places on the market. And by a, a sort of a chance, a place that had been on the market well, had been taken off the market on a very, very nice position at Highway 29. And about f- several months after we came to the Napa Valley, it came back on the market. 
this gentleman was going to build a winery and then for rearing reasons I don't think are important. But this came back and was a beautiful piece of property located on Whitehall Lane and Highway 29. It was about 25 acres, very, very good prime property that had a well. You know, the grape business, the wine business, requires enormous amounts of water. Mm -hmm. And we had most of the wells west of Highway 29 here do not produce very much water. That's just a matter of historical fact. We had a well that produced 276 gallons a minute, which is pretty—that's a lot of water. Which we could irrigate one third of the vineyard at a time directly from our well, and we could frost protect almost half the property directly from the well without having to put in a pond. However, we were a little cautious, and we put in a 12-acre foot lake to to frost protect uh, against. You know, the, the, when the temperature goes down. And as a kid, I couldn't have cared about frost protection, but having that pond there was key. All the pond parties I had as a little kid, swimming and fishing. Well, a lot of people don't it know, great. but it, it, it takes 60 gallons per acre per minute to frost protect down to 28 degrees. That, that's a lot of water. And luckily, we, uh, we had this pond, which we could fill from our uh, overflowing well. And so it was very, and besides it, remember your dad's stock? that pond with uh, a, a, some fish and we used to go out there and catch fish we, we have which we would have for supper yeah, that's uh, right you, I, I remember those days and when we did frost protection the whole vineyard smelled a little fishy <laughs> <laughs> well what the heck you know it's better than losing your crop <laughs> ain't that the uh, truth the uh, you know we're in agriculture remember we're at the mercy of mother nature yeah. wh- whether we like it or not and uh, you can have a wonderful crop of, of, of beautiful grapes and all of a sudden frost or hail or rain comes at a very bad part of the year and you're, you're, shot, you're shot down in flames. And that does happen once in a while. I've talked, I would like to talk briefly about the time we came into the wine business. Please. At that time, we didn't have very many wineries in the Napa Valley. I don't know. I think I'm going to say under 20, as I recall. I mean, big, regular, professional, uh, full-time uh, wineries uh, were scared. Now we are what over well over four hundred, as I recall. As far as brick and mortar, I don't know exactly, but the Napa Valley Vintners Association has five hundred members. Oh, really? Maybe a little more, but just earlier this year they they got to five hundred. My so-called funny remark is: if you don't like a winery in the Napa Valley, wait ten minutes. Uh, I'm not too sure whether that would never. It wouldn't sell well. My point being is that we were new. We were, we obviously were inexperienced, but we met marvelous people. I, I, I hate to repeat that, but I want to give, give my thanks to the Napa Valley as how we were treated and how it helped our business you know, get uh, a good foot. The other time was, the other thing that was going on at that time was there were, there were loans that people took out to build their wineries. And in those days, the loans were 17 and 18 percent. Wow. When we started, we made a decision. The family got together and said, we will not borrow money. We will exist on whatever we have to do with our own funds hmm. so that we don't get in that bind of having to pay off a note. Uh, very, you know, it Pretty was, hefty note at those rates. Well, yes, and it, it, it was the death knell for some several very nice wineries, as a matter of fact. So my point being is, I wanted to buy this marvelous uh, Zeiss line from Germany. 
uh, which is, was a beaut in my, and my, my wife, Charlene said, being the comptroller said, we can't afford it. And I said, well, you know, it's going to be easier. And she said, I guess it's going to be harder. <laughs> That's that. <laughs> that took care of that. But at least she kept us out of trouble yeah. dealing with our own funds. We were lucky, too, in uh, establishing great grower relations with some really fine vineyards in the Napa Valley. Your dad, as you know, was a straight shooter, a very honest guy that people could trust, and he got the confidence of some of the greatest growers in the Napa Valley. And so we got access to some marvelous vineyards, and of course, great grapes make great wine. And I think that was, that was, very, that was very helpful. We had also the advice of some very good friends. Uh, one of my, our friends was Gino Saponi, who was the partner of, of ZD Winery, uh, who, with whom we came very friendly. And you know, he had, or maybe you don't know, he had a background as an engineer, mm -hmm. and he was chief of a production for Domaine Chandon, right. of course. And he was a beautiful man who understood, whose family had been in the wine business in Italy, and also he had an engineering background. My point being is when we had any, any technical problem or anything that we needed help with, he was Johnny on the spot. He worked sometimes till 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I had his private telephone number at Domain Chandon, and I'd call him, and I'd say, I'd like to make an appointment. And he'd say, well, pour me a glass of wine. I said, no, you're, you're working, you're busy. And he said, I'm always busy. He said, but uh, I, I like... Whatever you need, I'll be right over. Pour me a glass of wine. He'd come over at 10 o'clock at night, and we'd get wonderful advice from a very, very experienced guy. That's great. So, well, anyhow, this is part of our wonderful experience here in the Napa. I, I say I've been very happy that, that we came here. One of the wisest decisions of my life. I would like to talk a little more about once the winery is built and some of the experiences actually being in the business of making and selling wine. Before we get to that, we do have to go to break. But before we get to that, I'm hoping we can look over at Gordon Lustig. You got a tune you want to share? Just one of your own tunes that you um, so skillfully have written over the years? Oh, just unrelated to anything. Unrelated just, to anything. Uh, just because you're here. And I enjoy your music. And, and it would be great to have a tune from Mr. Gordon Lustig, the musical director of Judd's Napa well, Valley sure, Show. Sure, let's see. Uh, <laughs> You want me to just kind of be spontaneous here? Yeah, let's plan on you being spontaneous in about five, four, three, two, go. We wake up at 6.14 each day to 99.3. There's a little plug there. Thanks. Seven minute shower and get dressed. Some sliced fresh fruit, plain yogurt, whole wheat, French toast if there's time. Dry fruit loops in the car. If we are pressed I drive an hour and a half To sit from nine to five You call it lunch Precisely 12.02 Tomorrow, dear, is Wednesday And we're gonna call in sick Cause tomorrow here is What we're gonna do Let's be spontaneous, <laughs> extemporaneous, 
Let's make no plans and let what happens happen. Caution we'll throw to the wind. Promises we'll rescind. Leave destiny to chance. And maybe find romance. No need for old precepts. Let's take some giant steps. If we get lost, there'll be no fuss. Cause we'll still be us. Just more spontaneous. Eight, we'll drop the kids at mom's at nine, we'll hit the coast. By eleven, we'll be sipping Cabernet. I'll tell you that I love you, then I'll improvise a toast. And honey, here's exactly what I'll say. Let's be spontaneous, extemporaneous. Let's make no plans and let what happens happen. Caution will throw to the wind. Promises will rescind. Leave destiny to chance. And maybe find romance. That was spontaneous. I like that. We'll ring a new refrain while hopping a one-way train. That ends where our friends won't see us. They'd only envy us and how they long to be us. No reins, no chains on us. Carefree and so spontaneous. Gordon Lustig here on Judd's Napa Valley Thanks. Show. Thank you. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. At 1440 on your AM dial in Napa and streaming live in Seattle at KVON.com, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. That's right. Even Seattle, Washington can have our show if they log on to www.kvon.com. That's right, Lauren Mole. Thanks for letting folks know. No problem. No matter where you are, as long as you've got a computer or one of those crazy phone apps like Intune Radio, you can hear Judd's Napa Valley Show. That's right. Hey, that was a pretty good bit, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, it cool. was. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. No we, problem. We are, <laughs> we are welcoming today our guest, Dr. Alan Steen, a legendary, historic <laughs> Napa Valley vintner. Also my uncle, by the way. <laughs> and we're talking about his experience being in the Napa Valley wine business beginning back in the 70s. And when we left, you were talking about um, just the wonderful people that accepted you here back then, helped uh, the family get going. Let's talk now... What was it like? Finally, your dreams have been realized. You've built a winery. You're in the wine business. 
But now, hey, you've got a winery and you're in the wine business. Now what? We have two families. We have to make an income to, do, to support. You know, they, they, they're, you're sitting with all, with all this wine we've made. Somebody has to go out and sell it. One of the interesting parts of the wine business, believe it or not, was when my, I and the rest of the family worked mostly on the weekends in the tasting room. Oh, yeah. There you saw a spectrum of humanity that was really fantastic. There were people who came in who were really wine experts, and you could tell it from the minute they came in, they asked the right questions. Two people would come in and ask, do, I, do we make sweet pink wine? And I'd say, no, we don't really make much of that kind of stuff. That's not our, our product line. My point being is people were made a lot of great comments, and something you have to do in the wine business is listen to people who buy your product. They'll tell you a lot of things that might help your business. Uh, they, some people that work in, who don't own the business don't understand, but I did. My, you, uh, our families own that place, and we had to keep the public happy. You also talked a bit about, we were one of the few, place, few uh, wineries in the Napa Valley who st- started to charge for tasting. Well, that we should admonish the people who criticize that. It wasn't, they didn't charge for tasting. We charged $2 for a glass that had our logo on it, of course. Mm-hmm. And that glass was yours. You could take the glass home with you, put it in your glove compartment of your car. And when you came back to Whitehall, you brought in your glass and brought the, and, we, and you tasted all, your, all the wine you wanted for nothing in your glass. And I don't know if you call that paying, paying, having to pay for tasting. I'm not too sure about that. Did you see that change the folks who were coming through? To the contrary, one guy said to me, well, that was going to keep a lot of drunks out of your place. And I said, well, I don't know about that. My problem was most of the people that came there, especially early in the day, people that came in the mid-morning were wine ex- people really interested in wine and were also big case buyers. That would, they, they the wanted, early birds. Oh, yeah. They really oh. wanted to know how things were made and so forth and so on. Uh, I, I found it to be very stimulating. And as a matter of fact, people – I love to tell jokes. That's my, one of my hobbies. And, and people would come in and say, where's the doc? I need a new story. And I thought – someone else would say, I thought you were here to taste wine. <laughs> But, uh, I got, well, I've got memories. I used to put me to work, too. You know, I would only be, however old I was, 9, 10, 11, 12, and then into my teen years working at that tasting bar, sometimes having to stack cases so I could stand up and people <laughs> would look, who's this kid? And often I would get, where's the funny doctor? They wanted to see you. People would come to get the story. The, 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 get a laugh. The word funny has many connotations, however. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And the nicest thing was that, that when a weekend opened up and, we, and I would talk to your dad or, or, or your mom about working there, they were very amenable to coming in and working. And, you know, you give up a weekend. And they, we never had any arguments about who. It was usually, no, I'll work or you work or so forth. There was no arguments about who took care of the place. It was a nice feeling about working in the tasting room, which I enjoyed. However, really, I w- my father never complained about working in the tasting room. No, yeah, and I don't, and I don't think he, I don't think he really enjoyed it. But he was a great sport. 
And and he, that's true. He was a very good sport, but you know he was the winemaker. He was also an artist. You know he painted. He did ceramics, and he had that soul, kind of that sensitive artist soul. So I think working in the tasting room put him in this vulnerable place where people were critiquing his art to his face, not knowing necessarily that this was the winemaker they're speaking yeah. to. And that I know he didn't enjoy that too much. Well, I think even he, the praise I think made him a little uncomfortable. It's just hard hearing someone talking about your. And, but in work. some ways, if you have a beautiful baby that you're very proud of, you love to have somebody look in the crib and say, God, what a gorgeous child. You're right. Maybe he and, loved the and, praise. And, so. and I think that he enjoyed, I think he enjoyed that part of the business. Now, we got bigger and bigger every year. We pretty much enlarged the production. And I think we were up to, when we finally decided to Closed down Whitehall, we had been about 35, 36,000 cases a year, which was a fair amount of inventory. It's a lot of inventory. But in, in the interim, uh, I went out uh, and covered about 40 states uh, as representative of, of the winery. That was a big part of your role in the business, was, yes, it was. sales. Well, yes, but it also required... Two, at least two weeks out of every month, I was on an airplane going somewhere mm. uh, to sell wine. Oof. And uh, your dad was not a big enthusiast for flying. He, no. that, that was not his his thing. And I remember... Nor for schmoozing, which you have to do when you oh, sell it also. No, I enjoyed that. I, had, well, I know you do, but... I, uh, you, were, you guys played to your strengths. You yeah, know, well, your, your dad made fabulous wine, and I had the opportunity to go out and contact a bunch of people and, and, and sell it. I'll tell you, though, getting your feet wet in the national wine market is a very uh, revealing and interesting experience. Uh, what happened? Uh, well, I'd get out there, and the uh, I would be out with these uh, distributors, and so forth, or wholesalers, or whatever you want to call them, and they would cry on my shoulder about, well, which, which wine shall I take off the shelf, you know, uh, to put yours up because I'm crowded with so much inventory, you know, so forth, and this and that. And it took me a couple years to compare our product with competitors with the our quality I thought was better and our price point was much better that and we started winning a lot of awards a lot of medals and whether we like it or not those those medal winning things are a great way to get your foot in the door sure and uh, and after after a while I started to feel very confident about saying well listen who's kidding who do you know in the market, there's two ways to push wine. You can, what they call push through, that is you do a lot of publicity and you put make all kinds of little deals to try to show off your product, or, or pull through, which is customer demand. Right. And we were getting a lot of pull through because we were winning those, these awards. And after a while, I would, after listening to these distributors cry on my shoulder for an hour or so, I'd say, look it. Here's the price point. You're going to make some money here, and I'm going to make some money here. So let's quit fooling around. <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden, 15 milliseconds, I was, okay, how many cases do you want to sell? I mean, literally, 180-degree reversal in, in, in what I was receiving from them when I first walked in the office. And I, it took a couple years to develop that confidence I saw, number one, how the product was being sold, mm -hmm. how being accepted, and saying, well, you know, we got something really of great worth here, and you get a pride, you get performance, and it really helps to sell because the person to whom you're selling it, they perceive the confidence 
that you have when you go in the office. You got to got a really good thing here. It's a vibration they read. Uh, and when I first started in the business, of course, I did. I didn't have any experience. But as I got, I, I got better and better at it because I saw that we had really something great, and it was that confidence. It helps sell a lot of wine. Yeah, and uh, the folks, and the and the fact that the folks, you know, liked you. I mean, obviously they could tell you're confident, but. You're a likable guy. You probably told them some funny stories. Then they liked having your product on the shelf. They'd be recommending it. It, it got out there. And then as far as the pull-through goes, you know, having the tasting room helps. When somebody is there actually tasting the wine, they're talking to you, it makes for a much different experience than traveling on the road talking to distributors. They make that connection with you. And, I mean, I don't know if it was the first, certainly the first I was aware of because I was a little kid, but the first, like, wine club that I certainly was ever aware of was at Whitehall Lane and the family developed the, wasn't called the wine club, it was called the Connoisseurs Club. Right. Want to talk about how that came to be? Because that, that, was, that was pretty cool. Well, fun I, parties I, anyway. <laughs> they were a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah, what we did is, again, Gino Zapponi really got our interest up in that sort of thing. He said that's the best way, to, he said the hardest way, but the best way to sell wine. That is, you have an ongoing coterie of people who are interested in what you get what we call label loyalty. Right. And they would come. We would do a fair twice a year. Uh, uh, your dad and I and a couple friends of my daughter's would do these set-down dinners for over 100 people uh, in usually January. And then we had this marvelous Texas barbecue yeah. in the summertime where we would take a quarter of beef and and oysters and so forth and the cowboy music. It was really a, a, a lot of a lot of fun. But my my point being is these were year in year out people to whom we sold wine at a nice little discount. And every, about every every quarter or every half year they would get a little. What a sample that they signed up for for the year. It was, it was a nice relationship because the people, those people who are members of your club, are very good advertising people for your winery. Absolutely, uh, they, they go back to you know Podunk, Iowa, and uh, and we had people, we had people in the club that didn't come to our meetings, but but were became enthusiasts and sent people to the winery. It was marvelous. They become your ambassadors. Show them well, a good time. You know, you know, if you're in a service business. Give them, give them service. <laughs> People always ask me how I like the wine business. I loved it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. But I think your dad was more into artisanal wine business. He was interested in small hand, handmade production of really fine wines because yeah. we were getting to be a fairly large volume uh, outfit. And I think that wasn't your dad's ambition. I know we always wanted to make a living sure. in the wine business, but I think more important to art was to be known as a great winemaker. I think that was that was his main motivation. He wanted to be known as somebody who can really produce, which he did, great wine. And I, I think that that was, you know, money's important. You gotta gotta pay the bills, but he had this pride in making an incredible product. Yeah, that is true. He, let me put this carefully because I'm not saying money wasn't important. You had to you know, support the family and whatnot. But you're right. He had this pride and he, and he achieved. I mean, he achieved the respect of his peers and consumers. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was proud of him for that. Um, you know, many nice, of course, um, accolades and write-ups and 
congressional uh, recognitions for his service and his accomplishments in the wine business. But that was secondary. You know, he he liked to focus. He, he as he, as we said, he had the artist's soul, and he wanted to focus on his art. And besides painting and ceramics and woodworking and all these other things, but his main thing was wine, and he approached it as an art form. I don't mean that to sound uh, pretentious in any way, but that was an art form, you know, forming something out of this grape juice and guiding it along and using flavor palettes and blending and choosing barrel types for the flavors they'd impart. And I mean, he loved that. It was a creative process to him. I wish I could remember the quote that he once made about the miracle of, of production of wine. It was beautiful where you take these sort of oh, yeah. natural product and, and this juice that comes out of the, and all of a sudden this miracle of production of this magnificent thing called wine. It's, I believe it's on our website, judshill.com. If you, if you click on, I think there's a bio about each family member and there's one about him. I think that quote is in there. And it, 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 it is nice. It talks about how it's a, it's, 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 it's a natural thing, but you got to well, guide I mean, it along. But all winemakers, I think, will agree that the the, uh, the process of, of producing wine is a natural uh, type of thing, and the least amount you have to do to interfere with that natural process, the better off you are. When you start what we call in Yiddish "pachking around," <laughs> uh, when you when you get into that sort of stuff, you get what we call unstable wines, wines which go into fermentation in the bottle, which throw a lot of sediment. Your wine stays in the bottle, but it's a living thing uh, year after year it's still doing things and the least amount you do to mother nature when you're making that product the better it is in terms of of something which is stable and and very satisfying and we hold to that even to this day at at judd's hill you know following his philosophy and his his way of doing it well let's talk then about how whitehall lane winery at least our family's ownership of it came to an and you, we started making a lot of wine. I mean, hey, in a relatively short amount of time, this went from non-existent to a pretty heavy-duty business. Not only that, it was going to get heavier because at the end of the year, we had very little inventory except what we wanted to put in the library, mm-hmm. the wine library. And your brother said to me, well, gee, we got rid of all of this. I think I'm going to make some more. Oh. <laughs> and I said, I don't think so. <laughs> you had to go out and sell it. Yeah, the, yeah there was. A, and that was probably part of the part of your feeling for getting out of the business was yeah, you were well, on the yeah. road. My father, not necessarily having the, the focus on these small lots. It was, it was a much bigger production, many varieties. Well, I remember once that your dad said to me, by that time, I think we had, I forget how many, six, seven people in the office, I mean, and so forth. And he said to me, I came here to make wine, not to manage an office. Uh-huh. And I thought that was a very cogent uh, comment about about that. He, he wanted to be more of an artisanal kind of approach to winemaking versus a large, large production. And uh, besides that, I had a wife and three kids, and, uh, you know, time goes on, and uh, two weeks out of every month, I wasn't home. Yeah. I, I was, you know, away from my family. And I think, you know, you have to look sometimes at the broad picture of life. And uh, it, it was, those are very precious times, I believe, to be with your wife and your children. And I think probably if I had my life to live over, I might have spent a little more time doing that. Mm. 
all in all, I got no complaints. I mean, I, uh, our families are wonderful. I I love my, our families. I love, you know, my my relatives are okie doke. And <laughs> thank uh, you. And uh, I, it, the the whole wine experience was very nice. Uh, to, I mean, I if I had my life to live over again, I certainly would have gone into the wine business. You'd do it again. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I really did. So 1988, this decision was made. Whitehall Lane Winery was sold. Right. My family started something else, which is still going on, Judd's Hill. 25 years. 89 was our first vintage. What have you been up to in those 25 years? Well, I kind of know, but let's... Uh, you're always up to something. The world traveler, well, the musician, well, the handyman... Uh, uh, well, when I got out of the wine business, uh, I went into income real estate, and uh, I was the janitor. <laughs> I, I repaired stuff. I, I installed five new kitchens, and all, everything in the kitchen. I Because your grandfather was a contractor, and uh, I learned a lot of little techniques yeah. working for him. To this day, if I have a toilet that needs fixing, I call you over and you work on it. Toilets is my game. <laughs> I enjoyed that. And uh, and I have a wife who's an inveterate traveler. Yes. Um, and we have been, I, she, at least she tells me, that we have been to over 90 countries. I, my wife's pretty pretty sharp woman. I think she's probably fairly right. But and nowadays, Judging what, by the folk art in your collection, I believe yeah. it. But I tell you, I wake up in the morning and my my gag is I roll over and I say, "Shall I pack?" You know, <laughs> you know she'll she'll say, "Well, tomorrow we're leaving for so and so." But if it wasn't for her, you know, I probably would have been been a very boring person. Well, I'm somewhat boring now, but I'm I think I would have been more boring. Uh, but we've I don't had believe a, that for a minute. The funny doctor, uh, the piano playing funny doctor. <laughs> you guys end up in Mexico several times a year. That seems to be your main destination these days. What yes. is what is it about our oh, very, our neighbor that you that you love? Well, number one, uh, I you think speak that, fluent Spanish, which is helpful. Uh, I, I I have a moderately good tourist Spanish, but people who uh, live in the United States for the most part don't get into Mexico. They deal with the border towns. And that is not Mexico. Uh, you really have to get further down in. And the Mexican, I love Mexico. I like the people. They're honest, hard workers, and they're very considerate. They're very, I, I've had a wonderful time. When I now go to Mexico, I don't feel like I'm going to a foreign country anymore. I just like it's, a, it's another place next door that I'm going to drop in and see my neighbors. Yeah, yeah. And you seem to avoid the tourists, the resorts. You, you head into places where they're, you know, in re- the real towns where, yeah, boonies where you can get some, you know, cultural, meet some artists. Uh. And also I became with the Napa, well, with the Latin, Latino community through my father-in-law, who was the Peruvian consul in Los Angeles for 28 years. Uh, was my wife's stepfather. And uh, through him, I'm, I met a lot of people. He went, to, he went to medical school in Mexico, the University of Monterey. Uh, so I had a chance to get to know a lot of people through his diplomatic connections. Mm-hmm. We go to South America, too. We, we have thought once about moving to Cuenca, Ecuador, because I have you know, my favorite places in the, in the earth. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like the Latino culture. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed that. And I, again, I have to give thanks to my wife, who has prodded me to get off the couch and, and go out and see the world. Uh, in in uh, next month, we're off to Sicily, uh, where our cousin's uh, wife 
family live in Taramina, uh, Sicily. You're going to have a great time, but you always come uh, back here to Napa Valley, uh, and you, you've stayed here. And what, if you could sum up in a, in a brief conclusion sentence about what it is about Napa Valley that, well, I know what drew you here, but what's kept you here now that you're out of the wine business? Very simple. I've met some of the best people I have ever known in my entire life in the Napa Valley. I mean, really wonderful people who we sort of are on a parallel pathway about life. Uh, a lot of people like myself have been doing something else for a living, and they come here to enjoy the business. Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you brought us all here. I'm glad you've stuck around so we can be neighbors as well as family. Before we go, we're not going to do the Mad Libs game today. We subjected you to that last time. Today we're going to subject you to something else, but something you're going to really enjoy because I know you're a fan of this young man sitting across from me, Mr. Gordon Lustig, our musical director here at Judd's Napa Valley Show, with a song that he has been furiously writing while we've been sitting here. So world debut, Gordon, hit it. Well, let's see if I know the chords of this. Okay. The days of Art and Alan, such amazing times in the Napa Vines. They were good to everyone they knew, and how the business grew. The grapes admired them too. ways of art and Alan reached a pinnacle what a miracle it's hard to keep a business nice and small when you are truly loved by all Gordon Lustig. Thank you. I'll <laughs> practice it. And, uh, <laughs> when we do the real show, I'll, I'll have yeah, it ready yeah. for you. Absolutely. I'll we'll let you know. We're going to be going on the air in five, four. Thank you very much, Dr. Alan Steen, Uncle Alan, as we know him around here, for being our guest today once again. Gordon Lustig. Lauren Mole. And this is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gillamar production. That's Napa Valley Show.